Hello and welcome to the PharmaForum Podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. Cell and gene therapies are one of the most fast-moving and paradigm-shifting areas in pharmaceutical development today, bringing curative treatments to patients for the first time for certain cancers and rare genetic diseases. But in order for these therapies to reach the patients that need them, the pace of the science needs to be matched by the pace of the infrastructure to support it, including manufacturing infrastructure. My guest today, Arturo Araya, is EVP of Commercialization at Solaris, a company that is attempting to create a new kind of contract manufacturing organization for the rapidly crystallizing world of cell and gene therapy. Welcome to the show, Arturo. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and about Solaris. Hello, Jonah. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, My name is Arturo Areya, and uh, I joined Solaris uh, earlier this year, and I'm the EVP of Commercialization. And my team, we're, we're primarily responsible for bringing in revenue and growing revenue for uh, for the company as we pivot away uh, from just being an engineering to to a revenue generating company. So I actually, I, I sought you guys out for the podcast because I saw a really sharp presentation um, about Solaris at the uh, cell and gene therapy event in Boston I went to a few months ago. Um, I can't remember the name of the event, but... <laughs> CAR-TCR. Is, is yes, the, is yes, CAR-TCR. Um, and I was really interested in this idea of an integrated development and manufacturing organization. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that distinction? Is it just branding or is there something fundamentally different than a CDMO um, you know, that you're doing, that you're, you're calling out with that kind of labeling? Yeah, it's, it's not just branding. It's, um, you know, as we were talking about all of the innovation that Solaris is bringing forward with our automation and all of that, calling the manufacturing that we could be that we're going to be doing cdmo just seemed to be uh inappropriate so we 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 thought hard about you know what is it that we're doing and all that kept coming up is integration 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 and 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 there's various examples of that there's there's vertical integration so we have um, a vast variety of uh, experts of all kinds of technical expertise and disciplines here all under one company uh, we have uh, equipment that's all integrated uh, and can be deployed for the entire life cycle of development of a product. And then there's also hardware integration. So, you know, we'll talk about some of that maybe later about how the hardware works. Uh, but all the hardware is highly integrated. It's high throughput technologies for manufacturing, uh, integrated for in-process QC, for release testing. And, and why does the cell therapy need all this kind of integration? Because I think Solaris and the industry, we all want to treat total patient demand. And we're just not doing that right now. And then I think, um, so you have this hardware integration, you have this vertical integration, uh, but then how do you pull all that together? You need data and software integration as well, right? So when you have all of that equipment and all that high technology, you need to have software and data that works across all of that. So your ERP, your LIMS, your MES, allows you to work right across all of that equipment. And then when you do all of that, you have to deploy it. And that's when we deploy it inside of a smart factory. Because once you have all of this very specific equipment, very highly integrated, and a platform of data and software on it, you need to deploy purpose-built facilities, which we call smart factories, that allow us to use the full capabilities of that. And you know, our smart factories are predicting about a 10x improvement in productivity versus conventional CDMOs. 
We're thinking we're going to save uh, our floor space to how we're building things out. We're reducing clean rooms by 90% and also labor by around the same amount, about 85%. And then finally, I'll say the, the difference is that because we have that data and software uh, doing this work of connecting all of that very specific high-tech integrated equipment, that allows us to do mass customization. So our IDMO then ties all that together with software. Uh, allows this very standardized cell shuttle and cartridge, which we'll talk about later, uh, which are the same for every process. The software allows the mass customization of the unit operations or the, the steps in the manufacturing process to be customized to every cell therapy process. So that's why we think it's... Uh, so, so how is that different than a, than a conventional CDMO? Well, a conventional CDMO has to use a whole variety of third-party equipment. Uh, and all of those are developed by different companies. Uh, they have different software on them. They have different integration points. They have different things. And they all got to sit together and you got to make all of that stuff work together. That's not, we don't see that as a, as an integration. That's probably closer to agglomeration <laughs> than integration. So we thought that's how I would say the IDMO is, is different than conventional CDMOs. Great. So I think the audio medium is going to do us a little bit of a disservice here. So I, I would encourage people to check out your website and and see what these pieces look like. But uh, but walk us through walk yeah walk me and and our listeners through kind of the whole solution here the cell shuttle the cartridge and the the software pieces. Yeah, you got it. I think look, I think there's three key components to it. There's the cell shuttle, the consumable cartridge, and the software. All right, so let's let's start with the with the big boy. Let's start with the with the cell shuttle. The cell shuttle is our CEO likes to call it the size of a of an Amazon truck, but then people don't know if they think if it's the van or the eighteen wheeler. It's more the van. I I see it as more as a uh, as a good sized conference room. It has twenty bays inside, so it's like these spaces. These twenty bays inside, sixteen of them are for processing, and four of them are for the transfer of reagents and fluids and samples in and out of uh, of the cartridge. On the back end of the of the cell shuttle is a refrigerator that holds our robot-friendly proprietary bottles where you load in, you know, you bulk load in the beginning of the day, all of the reagents and things that the processes you will need for the whole day get loaded on that side. They're barcoded so that they're, they're all red and, 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 the, and the software knows what's in there. It'll even, the software will even say, okay, based on all the things that, are, that we're running today, you're missing a bottle of this or you need to add a bottle of that or, or whatever. And then those cartridges are the software assigns those bottles to whatever cartridge and whatever process is going to go in so that they so that they match. Uh, so that's on the backside of the, the cell shuttle. And then, um, you know, the cell shuttle on the inside is an ISO 8 clean room. So the shuttle itself doesn't have to sit in a clean room. The shuttle can sit in a clean, non-classified space, which means that the operator doesn't have to have those double bunny suits that they're having and are very difficult covering every inch of your body and all of that and go in and out of that and being these your sunless, windowless rooms that a lot of these uh, clean rooms are and operate in there for hours in the day. The shuttle is sitting and clean. That if you know, if you look at the videos, you'll see people just kind of wearing normal clothes with gloves and uh, wearing a, a smock. They're also wearing booties and they're they're conducting themselves in a fairly normal working conditions. You know, so so that's the that's sort of the cell shuttle. So it can produce sixteen simultaneous therapies. Uh, they can be the same or different and. Uh, yeah, so and that runs automatically. Then there's the cartridge, and that's a consumable cartridge. The consumable cartridge, roughly, it's about 24 inches long, 
18 inches wide and 18 inches tall and it's and it's like a cube right it's, it's longer on one side so it's not exactly a cube but it's a it's a cube uh shape it weighs about 13 14 pounds something like that and in it is is that's the passive side of the uh of the process so it has everything all the modules that are needed to run a process it has modules for enrichment selection activation electroporation viral transduction expansion and formulation so inside there's double everything almost double everything there's a centrifugal elutrator for for cell enrichment and concentration and and you know formulation and stuff uh a buffer exchanges i mean and then there's two flow cells for magnetic selection two flow cells like i said there's uh there's uh for electroporation there's perfusion enabled bioreactor inside and then there's formulation containers at the end uh for the final product all the modules uh, in the cartridge are uh, are interconnected through what we call a fluidic bus. And what that looks like is like it has um, it's like a manifold that connects all the modules inside of the cartridge with every other module in the cartridge. So you can create the fluidic path that's necessary to execute the unit operations of any process. And then the software makes that happen. So just briefly, how does that all work together? So uh, let's take up your basic cell therapy process. You know, let's take a basic CAR-T process, right? So uh, an operator will load the cells on, uh, into the uh, into the cartridge. That's usually like, it's, it, there's a little pigtail that you could do a sterile weld of the tubing and it goes into the cartridge. Uh, that has to be done in, in, in a hood or in, in a clean room space. But then after that, the cartridge is loaded into the cell shuttle on one side. The cartridge is, a door closes. Uh, it's like a hatch. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. I, I recommend people to go see the Solaris video on that. The hatch closes. It goes through a disinfecting cycle, and then the and then the back door opens, and the robot picks up the cartridge and begins the execution of the process. And the process is it's moving from the either the processing bay or the liquid transfer bay. Uh, like I said before, there's 16 processing bays and four liquid transfer bays. Um, so if, if liquid needs to go in, reagents need to go in or out, or waste go in or out, or you need to take samples out, the cartridge comes out of the processing bay, goes into the liquid transfer bay, a bottle comes in to either take something in or to add something or take it out, and then the bottle is ejected, and then the cartridge goes back uh, home to its processing bay. And then the software just executes all the steps that uh, have been predetermined through a tech transfer that we do onto the shuttle. It goes and executes all of those steps. Uh, there's in-process QC, so it, it, that sampling can be done onboard, where different things can be measured, and you you know the, the, the whatever the whatever the client wants in terms of the the uh, testing and sampling program that could just be executed. And uh, and then at the end of the process, when you reach a target cell count or whatever the the, the end of the process is in, that the the client is designing, then the cartridge is ejected, and uh, when it's ejected, you have the final product there. Um, you can then go to final for, final formulation. You pull out the cartridge, you can go to final formulation and or um, final fill finish and packaging. So this notion of mass customization almost sounds like an oxymoron, just putting those two words together. But it really ties into what's so important in Cell and Gene because there are so many companies and doing, you know, different things where their processes are just a little bit different than each other. Uh, and so trying to create a manufacturing apparatus for that that scales is, is very challenging if you can't automate those those processes, right? I, I feel like that's the part that took me a little while to realize like why that is is so key. 
Yeah, Jonah, that's, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because uh, when I came and interviewed uh, at Solaris, I too thought exactly that, Jonah. I said, how does robotics and customization work together? Because when you think of, when you think about robotics, you think about high throughput, one, one process done very fast over a long period of time. But then how do you accommodate all these different processes and all these different things? And and I think Solaris, it's 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 pretty brilliant, the 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 engineering approach that you kept. You know, it's important to know that for every single process that we will uh manufacture, every single cell therapy that we will manufacture uh in our IDMOs, the process will use the identical cell shuttle and the identical consumable cartridges for every process. But the software will be accessing the flexibility of that highly standardized hardware. Uh, so you've put the you've put the variability and the flexibility in the software, which arguably is the cheapest place where you want to make the most changes done on software rather than having to adapt hardware every time you have a new process. Because if you think about it from a regulatory point of view, every time you change hardware, you have to now take that through a new a new uh, regulatory process to qualify to, uh, that new hardware. So, but once you standardize the the hardware and you're just making software changes, then the lift of, of doing a different process is much much lighter. Are there any other unique challenges in the cell therapy space that you're addressing with this model? Yeah, look, uh, the process I described now was uh, an autologous process, uh, um, and uh, you know, autologous processes cells that come from one person process and go back to the same person. But as we know, there are also allogeneic processes, right? So, and on the allogeneic, there's two kinds. There's the allogeneic off the shelf and then allogeneic that requires some kind of matching. And, and that's basically, you know, you have a donor and you make a, you make a, a therapy out of it and it's used for a lot of people. So in that process, you can imagine you need a lot more volume. So you're using a single donor of some kind and you need to produce a large volume of that therapeutic living drug, like the like the people at UPenn like to call it. So, in that process, you you recall that you know we talked about the cartridge coming in and going through all of the steps, and then the cartridge being executed. For the allogeneic, it's a very similar process, but instead of being one cartridge, you have one cartridge. The cells begin to grow, and then you use the the bottle and the, and the liquid transfer device to uh, seed those cells into another cartridge. So that they can grow there, and then you see this a third cartridge and a fourth cartridge and a fifth cartridge, and you continue to do that until you have all your sixteen cartridges, uh, and then you can extract from each of those cartridges to make and make a batch again through the liquid transfer port. So, we're, so the the cell shuttle and the cartridge technology is able to uh, address also the allogeneic approach. So that was that's a that's a challenge that uh, people are probably not thinking about, but it is it is a way that uh, that it can do it. And I think the other part. The other challenge, I think, is uh, adherent cells. So the cell shuttle right now can only work with non-adherent cells. So luckily, but it's not luck because, you know, obviously there was, a, there was a, a market analysis to see where it goes. Most cell therapies in development right now are non-adherent cells. And then on the future, the cartridge right now is already designed with some empty module space so that we will be able to add emerging technology into there. So we, we look down the road. And thought, yeah, we haven't thought of everything, and because people haven't stopped thinking yet. 
So let's add uh, some space in there. So there's already space for, for additional modules as yet undetermined or unannounced, let's say, of things that we may be able to do in the future using this technology. So what's the status of the business right now? What, what's your kind of uptake like? How many customers are you working with? We've only announced a few of our TAP programs. Uh, you know, we've announced the Lyell, Caballetta uh, Bio, uh, two programs with Bristol-Myers Squibb. So tell me a little bit about kind of the, the future plans. How, how are you see, you know, how are you going to evolve the business? You talked a little bit about how there's kind of some built-in future proofing. But outside of the unknown unknowns, what are you working on? Yeah, so something that we haven't talked a lot about um, is um, the process development capabilities of the cell shuttle. That's something, you know, we're going to be talking a lot more about that. But right now we're more focused on, you know, bringing on these TAP clients, uh, transferring their process into into the cell shuttle and then moving into IDMO. Uh, there are more clients and we've announced publicly for, for, for different reasons. We've only announced a few, but th- that'll become clear as we, as we move forward. But this process development, process development is a big is a big deal, not just for process optimization, but for early development. And uh, the cell shuttle, you know, I mentioned earlier that the cartridge has pretty much double everything in it. And you have 16 bays that are can process 16 cartridges at the same time. So you could do 32 simultaneous experiments on the cell shuttle, all on the same data platform, all on the same software, and you could do them all simultaneously. Uh, so the throughput for for process development is pretty astonishing how much you can do all at one time. And we haven't talked a lot about that yet because it's not something that we are fully staffed to be executing yet, you know, because we're, we're prioritizing the, our IDMO, a stand of IDMO right now. But it is definitely something that will be a very powerful tool in the future. Because if you think about it, now, now, you, now you have sort of a almost a big data approach to 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 the process development of cell therapies, which you couldn't do before because you had all this different equipment that didn't necessarily talk to each other and you couldn't have to kind of uh, translate all the output of the data into a single data set and all of that. And now you have all of that on one platform. So, and and it reminds me sort of of my early years in, in, uh, in, in pharma where, you know, a lot of the pharmaceuticals at that time were chemically based. They had these high throughput you know, they had a tissue and they would bombard the tissue with different chemicals and see what was the reaction of the tissue to it. And they would just test thousands and thousands of things at the same time, very high throughput and see what's activating or doing something and then lower the set. It's very difficult to do that in self-therapy because of the manual nature of it. But now with this automation, it may be unlocking uh, a lot of that, you know, and then just just even even without the process development part, if you think that now with this data stack that we have through this uniform software across all the technology, all of a sudden now you have big data, right? And once you have big data, you could combine that with the, the QC data and then combine that with the clinical results, apply some AI to all of that. And now you have a pretty powerful tool for improving therapeutics, uh, creating novel therapeutics. Uh, and that wasn't really possible because the data is kind of in all different places, even inside a single. Uh, therapy developer. So that's kind of cool stuff that we're working on. But also, you know, related to the IDMO part, we're also, of course, looking to stand up smart factories in other geographies. We'll soon announce our first uh, location outside of the U.S. But, you know, of course, we're looking at Europe and Asia uh, for expansion in the future. 
but uh, right now, mostly our focus is in uh, is in doing all of these taps, which are technology adoption programs. Which maybe I should explain what that is. This is just basically a, a very simple kind of low bar that we're offering to people who want to bring their technology onto our platform that allows us to do a very quick tech transfer. It doesn't come with all of the assays because that's usually that assay transfer for all of that is usually a big hurdle. But we bring enough of them so that the client can determine, can see that uh, the shuttle is reproducing what they are doing in manual methods. And then you can keep going. Uh, and we do an end-to-end -end run so that the client could see that, it, that it's also automated. And then the client could say, okay, let's keep going. So these clients that we're taking through these technology adoption programs are now uh, we're finished. We're we're doing the work on that. We'll soon finish with the with with a, with a bunch of them, and then we'll move those into our IDMO for manufacturing for whatever stage of development uh, the therapy is in. And that's as you can imagine, it's a uh, it's a it's it's the bulk of our work right now. But like I said, we'll talk about future expansion into other geographies, and we'll talk about our process development capabilities and all of that as well. So I wanted to ask one. One follow-up there, because you mentioned global expansion and getting into more regions. Um, how is how does that part of the solution work in terms of you know these cell and gene therapy, well cell therapy companies? I don't know why <laughs> uh, that that are you know is it a centralized manufacturing situation? How you know how do they is how, do they interact virtually? How how are you able to kind of serve companies that might be across a broad geographic range? Yeah, right now, right now uh, we have two facilities. Right, right now we have our South San Francisco facility. We have two cell shuttles in in South San Francisco. Depending on the manufacturing length, time of manufacturing length, on a seven day process, you're you're talking about 1,200, 1,600 patients batches per year that you could produce there. So that's that's quite a lot of clinical trials. But you know, so that could support clinical trials all over because most of these therapies you have you know cryopreserved material in the front end and cryopreserved material on the back end. So you could serve a, a lot of a, a lot of geographies that way. And then we have, we're building out, uh, we're pretty late stages of building out our first industrial scale, you know, commercial scale smart factory, and that's in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Uh, and that's going to have 50 cell shuttles. So depending on the, uh, on the, on the manufacturing time, you're talking about 40 to 50,000 batches, patient batches per year. So it's a, it's, it's just a gigantic number. I mean, I, I, I it always kills me when I drop a number like that and people are like, huh, you know, because the largest facilities in the world right now are, it's, it's pretty uh, proprietary, the amount, but you know, you're talking on the order of two to six, maybe 8,000 doses a year out of a single factory uh, today. And for 120,000 square foot facility, 40 to 50,000 doses is what we'll be producing, which is, it's kind of, it's kind of mind blowing, but yeah. So the idea is that we'll be building these factories, these smart factories in, in, in other geographies. What's really cool about having standardized hardware and software across all of these geographies is that if, you're, if we're manufacturing for you in Europe and you want to expand to Asia or whatever permutation or to the United States or whatever, the tech transfer is no longer, let's buy a whole bunch of equipment, let's train a whole bunch of people, uh, let's make sure we have all the SOPs in place. Let's make sure. To, now, now it's just a data set that gets uploaded and uh, and sent to the new to the new location. The robot will be able to execute that uh, that file in the new location, and, and from a process point of view, you've tech transferred to the new location. 
Now, okay, there's all these regulatory steps you need to do, of course, but from a tech transfer point of view, it's pretty fast. When you think that normal manual process tech transfers take 9, 12, 18 months, two years sometimes to transfer them, and then you got to hire all the people to do that and, and everything else, you know? And then the coolest thing about all of this, Jonah, is that we're looking on the horizon and seeing a world where self treating people with cell therapy and, you know, supplying cell therapy is no longer capacity constrained. Everything about the cell therapy order process, supply chain process, how all that happens, it's all built on scarcity. You know, you're building slots and trying to schedule your slot and make sure I don't miss the slot and make sure. Now, now when you start taking away scarcity, you, you now end up in a very different situation for the prescriber, for the patient, uh, for the community. You know, it becomes that's one of the things that I'm most excited about, because when you eliminate scarcity, you end up with a whole different service model and supply model uh, out there, which I think the industry desperately needs. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Before we wrap up, um, you know, given your perspective, um, working with a lot of different companies in this space, having to have your finger on the pulse of, of how it's developing. Um Tell me a little bit about kind of what trends you're expecting to see in cell therapy, uh, you know, over the next year and as, as we get into 2024. I think there's I think there's two really cool things. I think one is how fast the uh, cell therapy use in autoimmune diseases is happening. That is extraordinary because just a few years ago, there were only a couple of very few players uh, in that. But now there's a massive move into that space. And. You know, like, like I said earlier, Caballetta Bio is uh, uh, we announced is is working with us in a on the tap partnership, and they're a leader in that autoimmune space. And what's exciting about that space is that these trials are much larger, the populations are much bigger. But because the populations are much bigger, the effect is so uh, pronounced. The clinical trials are short because you recruit very quickly a large number of patients, and then you move very fast into very large population. So these these autoimmune diseases, these cell therapies for autoimmune diseases are going to require massive amounts of manufacturing, probably at another price point. And our technology is poised to be right there on that. And then the second one I think is important that the FDA and Peter Marks in particular, who's the head of the biologics uh, division there at the FDA, he's been talking a lot about this, uh, you know, the FDA is having a bunch of working groups and we're involved in those where they're talking about platform manufacturing technologies to, to standardize workflows and to streamline development, ultimately to lower costs. He has this image, which it's, it's, a, little, it's a little cringy, but I, I see where he's coming from, where he has, you know, you insert a construct. It's, he has like a vending machine on the slide, and he says you insert a construct and outside and out comes a cell therapy. And he's saying that's how standardized we should be making our, our, the manufacturing process of cell therapies. Well, I got to tell you, this, the, the, the Solaris cell shuttle and the cartridge is pretty close to that vending machine model because you're inserting a cartridge and out comes a therapy, you know? So it's pretty close. So the FDA has realized that to be able to, to really expand the availability and really lower the cost, you need to have these platform technologies that can be used in lots of ways. And in that vein, we're, we are developing platform processes. Like we have a platform process for CAR-T, which is basically a standard CAR-T process that then a therapy developer can take their construct, drop it into this, this process, do a little tweaking on the software, and you're off to the development races uh, on that. So 
I'm really excited about the autoimmune space, and I'm really excited about this platform technology approach of, that the FDA has. And I think those are going to be pretty transformational to the industry. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Arturo. Really interesting stuff, and it'll be very exciting to watch uh, what happens with you guys over the next year. Thanks, Jonah. Happy to be here. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at Pharma Forum. Thanks for listening.